Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Joining me today, Premier Danielle Smith. And her backup, uh, if, if needed, he's here, uh, Deputy Premier Mike Ellis. Now, if you have a question you'd like either of them to answer, or if there's something you'd like them to address, phone or text, the numbers are 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063. We've already got uh, a pretty full slate of phone calls. The text messages are starting to come in. Uh, Premier Smith, Deputy Premier Ellis, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Swim. Nice to talk to you, Wayne. And Premier Smith, you are at the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai, or as it's otherwise known, COP28, and I don't even want to get into the long version of it. Uh, before you left Alberta, you said it was important to be at the conference in order to tell Alberta's story about what the province is doing on the emissions reductions front and other energy initiatives. And in light of these uh, latest announcements from our, and I use that term loosely out here, our beloved federal environment minister on uh, methane regulations and an emissions cap in the oil and gas sector, you have to be pretty pleased that you're there. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you there's no way I would want Stephen Guibault to be telling Alberta's story in this uh, at these conferences and we're going to have to have a presence here every single year what I what I can tell you is our message is really well received there's a lot of other oil producing nations that understand that carbon capture utilization and storage as well as direct air capture are going to be a key part of the future and I, I think we found a lot of common cause we also were able to tell a fantastic story about uh, indigenous the involvement in our industry with our Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation. So I, I can tell you we've, we, we've managed to make a, a lot of friends here, get our message out, and we're, we've got a big fight in store when we, when, we, uh, when we get back because, quite frankly, the federal government is, outside, is acting outside the Constitution, as they always do. They make unconstitutional laws and then force us to go to court to fight to get our rights back. Well, I can tell you we're prepared to fight them every step of the way, whether it's a methane emissions cap or a oil and gas uh, emissions cap. We're just not going to put up with it any longer. Premier Smith, for the average Albertan who is uh, tuning in this morning, uh, listening to you report back from Dubai, what is their takeaway going to be? What's the benefit going to be for Albertans right now? Well, I can tell you that I think that there is a lot of collaboration that's going to happen between the oil-producing nations. And one of the things that I'm very encouraged by is the a number of private delegates that were here to talk about the things that we're doing, whether it's carbon capture utilization and storage, um, not only taking CO2 and storing it underground, taking it and turning it into useful products, uh, decarbonizing the entire production stream for major construction projects. We, we are so far ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to not only the fact that we've got at scale carbon capture projects, but the fact that we have a, a net zero hydrogen facility with air products, net zero petrochemical plant with uh, Dow Chemical. Next year, we're going to have the first net zero cement uh, manufacturing. We, I'm hoping we'll still be able to attract into Alberta net zero steel. When you start decarbonizing all of the aspects that every industry needs for the development of their products, that, that is going to make a huge difference. And I, I think we've got lots of reasons to be very proud. And, and to be able to tell that story here and realize just how far ahead we are was really gratifying to me. I can tell you, there are, we, we spent $30 million 
mapping our entire geology in Alberta. And we've estimated at a minimum, we will be able to store 100 billion tons of CO2 emissions. Keep in mind, we're only producing as an entire country, 760 million tons. So we've got massive capacity to not only solve Alberta's uh, emissions issue, but the, but the world's as well. And so I, I feel like we are miles ahead of the other jurisdictions. It was good to he be here to hear that, but also good to be able to tell the story as well. What's the status of the moratorium on the green energy programs that was announced in early August? Is the review on track for an end of February release? What can you tell us right now? Is there, are, you, are there any hints about what kind of regulations might be in the works? Yes, we will, we will lift that, that pause by, by February 29th at the latest, and maybe even earlier. I know that my uh, affordability and utilities minister is very keen to make sure that there's um, a clear path for people in the industry to be able to invest. And I can tell you, I, I mean, I, from what I have seen, especially over here, the ability for us to use solar on existing infrastructure. I, I, I went and visited DP World, which is the Dubai ports. They've got... Uh, uh, solar panels on all of their building facilities as well as over all of their parking garages and they're able to generate enough electricity not only for themselves but also to to be able to generate back into the grid i love those kinds of projects and if we can get more of them i think that will be a way of continuing to have the investment we just want to make sure that we're not putting these installations on prime agricultural land and that when they come to the end of their useful life that there's money set aside so that they can be reclaimed Th those are the main things that we're that we're interested in doing and we'll, we'll make sure that we've got that that policy clarity before the end of february premier smith i wanted to talk about the alberta pension plan engagement panel but you know what uh, i'm looking at the the text line i'm looking at the phone calls right now and uh, a lot of the interest seems to be as it always has been on healthcare, so I want to go right now to uh, Alan in Edmonton, uh, who wants to talk about EMS room wait times. Go ahead, Alan. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yes. Good morning, Premier and Deputy Premier. Uh, say, what are you guys going to do to fix the 10 to 12 hour waiting times in emergency rooms in Alberta? It's been going on for decades now, and it it's out of control. We're not cattle here. Oh, you're so right. And I, I I put that as a priority when I first got elected a year ago. We had we had put in an official administrator and we're making some progress. But I, I must tell you, I was a bit disappointed that we saw some regression over the course of the election and we had to make a, a more significant change. So there have been several members at the senior executive team that have been uh, let go. And we've hired a, a new head of our Alberta Health Services who's been there, who was there for about nine months before she left and, and went to join the Alberta Medical Association. We we managed to convince her to come back. But I can tell you, Athena Methanopoulos was the, the person who was the architect of the major improvements that we were making in, in uh, EMS services to make sure that we got rid of the red alerts. And I have a lot of confidence that she's going to be able to address this issue. We've given AHS a sole mandate they have to improve the acute care services they provide in all of our hospitals. That means that we do not want to see closures of our uh, EMS or closures of our emergency um, our emergency rooms that we've been seeing, unfortunately, in rural Alberta. We want to make sure that the patient flow 
through the emergency rooms is optimized. We want to make sure there's there, that ambulances are not waiting for hours and hours dropping off patients, and we need to make sure that we're that we're increasing the amount of surgeries. So, so that's what AHS is going to be focused on under its new leadership. And I would just ask for you to to give us a, a little bit of time, and uh, and I hope that we will be able to report back to you within six months or or shorter that we're making major progress. But I I agree that that what we've had right now is is unacceptable, and we've got to improve it. Liz has texted in on the QR line. She said, I would like to ask the Premier what she's going to do with Alberta Health Services and the very top-heavy management, not frontline management, with some departments that have eight to ten different doctor uh, directors. Again, another major frustration I've had. Keep in mind, I've been watching healthcare for 27 years. I've been I've been increasingly frustrated that we're not seeing the investment in the front line, and we keep accumulating layers and layers of managers. And we sent a message when we decided to make a change. We we eliminated six executive positions at the top. And we are now going through a process where we are telling those who are in the administration, if you are seeing patients, then we are going to make sure you are supported. We want more support on the front line. But if you have never seen a patient and you're a manager, well, I have to tell you, I'm not going to guarantee those jobs. And I can tell you what's happened in the, uh, the just anecdotally, the stories that I've heard, heard at one hospital. A charge nurse who had never asked to give support to uh, on the front line is now has now gone out and said, "Hey, is there any way I can help you?" There was a manager in another hospital; no one had ever seen him for five years. All of a sudden, he's now showing up for work. That's what I want to see. Managers need to be engaged. They need to be doing frontline service. Otherwise, they're not going to be there very long because our front line are the ones who need support. We are growing as a province. We are growing in the need for healthcare, and we are going to prioritize. Anyone who is giving direct patient, patient service should be, feel very comfort, comforted that we are going to support them. We are just not simply going to pay money to managers for not seeing patients anymore. That, that era is over. And so I think the message is being received loud and clear. All right. We're going to continue on this topic when we come back. It's time for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith and in studio, uh, Deputy Premier Mike Ellis, when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to your province, your premier heard throughout Alberta, in Edmonton on 630 Chet, here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Premier Danielle Smith joins us from Dubai. Deputy Premier Mike Ellis uh, in studio with me as a bit of a backup today. Uh, premier Smith, before the break, we were talking about uh, health care uh, getting rid of uh, or eliminating or minimizing some of the bureaucracy that is uh, that is in AHS. And I think it comes down to bureaucracy by very definition is almost self-perpetuating. Uh, it's like a, the hydra, you know, you cut off one head and two more spring up. Uh, that's that's my kind of impression anyways as to a bureau. And it doesn't matter at what level that, it, that it's at. Uh, Don is calling in from Edmonton. That, that was my that was my opinion throwing in there. Don is calling in from Edmonton with a doctor's nurses questions so go ahead don hi danielle premier smith wayne um my question is, is i was listening to the numbers i was trying to find uh, my sources before i went on the air so i could back up everything but there's they're saying there's like thirty thousand uh nurses that are from other countries that aren't working in the medical institution and like twenty thousand doctors it's like um why can't like if if I get on an airplane and I fly over to Germany or Poland or, you know, South America or wherever it may be, 
I'm not going to expect to see a doctor that's certified in Canada. So I have to rely on those countries to produce a doctor or a nurse that, that has a similar or the same standards. Um, I, and I've, I've run into doctors before that have come from like Ireland or Poland or wherever it is, and they, their services seem to be top-notch. So I don't understand why we can't get them in at least maybe instead of somebody waiting, you know, 12 hours or 16 hours in the waiting room, why we can't get these doctors to, to see a patient ahead of time. You know, okay, let's say they're not completely qualified, but where they came from, they were qualified to treat and service patients. So I don't know, why it's double standard. We have doctors without borders. We have military uh, doctors that go all, work all around the world. We like, I just, I just don't understand how we, we have to close the standard. And the other question I had quickly was, is uh, there's a petition out now to stop uh, Bill C-47. So when we don't have enough doctors, and it takes what I'm hearing ridiculous numbers, 16 days, 36 days to see a doctor, why can't, why are we getting rid of our naturopathic doctors? Give people a choice. If they want to see a naturopathic doctor in the meantime, they can work, help the natural, that naturopathic doctor can help them work on their health or do things to, to keep them going until they get to see a regular doctor. Anyway, there's my two questions. I wanted to get into Trudeau and economics, but I'm not going to do that. Really <laughs> All right. Thanks for the questions, Don. Premier Smith. Yeah, that'll be have to be next time, Don. So let me talk to you about the the uh, the issue, the, the the first issue, and I think he's right. I'm go I'm actually going to Doha for the next couple of days, and if you can believe it, University of Calgary has a, a medical uh, training center set up in in Doha, and I have to wonder. I'm going to see how they work it, but I, I bet that that might be, be one of our solutions if we can set up medical training centers around the world so that. We can pre-qualify doctors and nurses if they are trained abroad, knowing they're trained to the standard that will allow them to participate in our society and in our healthcare system, then I think that that would be part, part of the solution. That's what I'm looking forward to. But I've been lobbying on this since 2006. The idea that we do not recognize the credentials of doctors and nurses who are highly trained elsewhere, I think is uh, it, it's an antiquated system and we've got to clear the pathway. One of the first steps we've taken is making sure that if somebody is in good standing at any of their professional colleges across the country, we will automatically certify them here. If you can believe it, we weren't even recognizing the certification of, of uh, nurses in other jurisdictions. So we have now seen an additional 3,600 nurses that have been certified to work in our system since we began this in April. And if we can extend that out to include internationally trained medical professionals, I think we're all going to benefit from that. When it comes to naturopaths, look, I mean, one of the things naturopaths are trained in is nutrition. That's one one of the things that uh, they get 30% of their training in nutrition. And so if we can get people to get a better diet, better sleep, better stress management, more exercise, so that they can focus on the prevention um, and, and reduce the need for the medical system, we should be embracing that. We need all of our health professionals at the time, at, the, at this time. And I, I think that uh, naturopaths uh, play a role as well. And I, I, don't, I don't quite understand anyone who would say that, the, that we don't need 
any particular type of medical profession. We need them all. All right. Uh, in keeping with that message, Stephanie is calling in on the Ched line. She said, here's a quick look, uh, a text, text line, I should say. Here's a quick look at some aspects of our system. Uh, Stephanie says she graduated nursing school in 1990. At that time, there was approximately six and a half acute care beds per 100,000. In 2019, we're hovering less than two and a half acute care beds per 100,000. Our population has steadily increased, as has the age and complexity of our society. Post-secondary schools have faced cutbacks, and the UCP stopped a desperately needed hospital. We don't need you to burn down the house. We need you to build it up. Well, look, I, I agree. I mean, I, I can't believe that in our population size, we only had 173 acute care beds. It's now gone up by 50, so we've got 223 acute care beds. But I can tell you that we, when we get into respiratory virus season and we've got a surge of COVID patients and influenza patients, we, we, we have to make sure that we can manage that. So I would say that one of the problems that we've had in our system is that we just have not dedicated enough resources to those frontline staff whether it's in primary care or whether it's in acute care in hospitals there's been there's been way too much growth in the management sectors and that's what we're going to address we, we've got to get uh, more primary care more acute care and we've got we've got to start making sure that uh, that people feel supported which whichever uh, point of entry they have into the system two more quick uh, text textures on the uh, on the ched line uh, similar uh, themes. Uh, first one, Duncan is calling from Vermilion, says, why can't they start using all the rural hospitals? Example, town of Vermilion. You can't even have a baby there anymore. So sad and a waste of a great medical building. And then this other texter says, I'm wondering if the premier could address aging in place. In order to live together, my parents had to live, uh, leave the community they lived in for 80 years because the community was not able to manage their assessment of care need. They resided in the north zone, and the only couple's suites are available in Slave Lake, which is a three-hour drive from family. So a couple of issues there, Premier Smith. You're not going to get any disagreement from me. These these are the kind of things I've been advocating on for years, and now we're going to be able to address them. 100%. We've got 106 acute care facilities that AHS manages on our behalf. We should be making sure that we are optimizing local care in every single one of them. So that's one of the directions that we've given to Alberta Health Services under the new management. So just give us a, a bit of time so that we can do that assessment, but I, I completely agree with that. And as for aging in place, you, you may recall when we were with uh, when I was with uh, uh, when I was in politics the first time we talked about divorce by nursing home and that the fact that you've got couples that are having to move not only great distances away from their families but sometimes being split up because one is at a different level of care we, we can't tolerate that anymore we've got to create an environment and there are a couple of facilities that do this where you've got independent living you can move seamlessly to assisted living and then ultimately have long-term care uh, right on site. And, th and that's more of what we need to have. We've got to make sure that people are supported through every aspect of their aging and making sure that couples, as they, as they end up having uh, health care needs that are different as they age, they they've got to be supported so they can stay together. So we're, we're go that's part of the reason why we have separated out continuing care as a separate pillar reporting di directly to the minister is we know that we've seen these problems for decades. We've got to solve them. All right. Colleen is phoning in from Lethbridge. She's been holding on for, boy, longer than we've been on the air. Uh, go ahead, Colleen. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi. Um, I just wanted to uh, quickly say about the pension plan. 
the one thing that I hear repeatedly from people is that they are scared that the government is going to put their fingers into it and use part of it. So I think if there is um, legislation that you talk about right now saying that that uh, there is no way that the government is going to have access to the funds, that would help solve one of the problems. But what I'm calling about is uh, about a month ago I called you regarding my husband being forced off age uh, when he became a senior. And I had told you that um, I would come back with the exact numbers. And so um, what he is making now is $1,355 a month as opposed to 1788 So that's a drop of 433 And then he also pays 30% of his drugs. And being a type 1 diabetic and having severe heart problems, those drugs uh, come into a few hundred dollars for us now. Uh, now, with my income, because the source of income was different and came from federal, they also dropped mine by $795. So it's a total drop of $1,199 plus his medical expenses. Um, I've tried to get a hold of uh, MLA Nixon's office. Uh, or Minister Nixon, but I've never had a phone call back. And I really think legislation has to be changed where people can't be forced off age or uh, at very least um, that uh, a senior's income can be topped up uh, by that amount of money because it's just really hard. Um, our income's gone down and our expenses have gone up astronomically. So, so were you, you able to do anything with in on yeah. that front? Look, I've I've called I've, I've talked to Jason Nixon about that, and he uh, he knows that this is something that we've we've got to resolve. And I, I've heard these problems for years that we have these drop off points in anyone who needs long term support. That we do pretty good in program unit funding for young kids, and then when they become adults, there's a whole separate a series of of uh, uh, applications they have to do to get on various programs and then once again you get to age 65 and you end up with the kind of income drop-off that you've talked about in the reduction in benefits so that's been frustrating for me so it is something that I've asked my minister Jason Nixon to, to look at to see if there's a way that we can provide the seamless support if you're on assured income for the severely handicapped there shouldn't be that that kind of massive drop-off and so he is, uh, I put it to him, I hope that we can resolve some of these issues through the budget process, and I'm glad that you called in to let us know about that so that we can understand the impact that it's having. So thank you for that. He's working on it. As for um, the, uh, the potential for an Alberta pension plan, we're still in the process of consulting. We know that uh, the federal government disputes our figures, so we've got to wait and see what their result, what, what they think the asset transfer would be, and I'm glad that they have the chief actuary working on it. So we are continuing our consultation process, but we'll do in-person sessions once we have those numbers. And the advice that you've given, I think, is good. That, um, that there really shouldn't be any politicians who are meddling in the investment decisions of uh, of our pensioners. I, I guess what I'm concerned about is whether the federal government is is doing that already. I know that they have given mandates to the CPP to make sure that all the investments comply with net zero. And you know, I, I as we are working towards net zero. 
emissions in our economy as well. I think that's positive, but I, I think the number one thing we should have is making sure that we're optimizing the amount of pension income that our pensioners are getting. And so I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm worried that they've now given direction about how the uh, the pensions should be invested. They, uh, they've said that they want to see more investment in Canada. Canada is a very small market. And so I, I could tell you that in Norway, they don't invest any money in Norway because they want to make sure that it's truly independent. So I, I guess I would put it to you that I'm already concerned that the federal CPP is being dictated to and interfered with by politicians. And we want to make sure that uh, we have that confidence that we've got the very best professional management making decisions to maximize the returns for our pensioners. And so that's part of the reason why we're having the consultation. I don't, I don't know how, it'll, how it will turn out, but we'll we'll, we'll make sure that when we get the, the, the number for the asset transfer for the federal government that, uh, that we continue on with the consultation and get more feedback. When do you expect to receive that data? Soon, I hope. Like, I hope it's months and, and not years because we, we need to, to really resolve this. It shouldn't take that long. We were able to do the... The, the feedback within a couple of years, they should be able to as well. So there's no hard and fast uh, date at this point? <clears throat> well, I, I wish there was. Like, I, I have to, I'll, I'll get my finance minister to follow up. Yeah, but the fact, I think the chief actuary is taking it seriously. And I would hope that they'd be able to give us the, the result very soon. Darren has texted in on the QR line. He said, with the unconstitutional laws and announcements without conversation or consultation, what can or is Alberta doing to try to have a cooperative relationship with the federal government, or is that door shut? Well, I can tell you, for me, it's shut with Stephen Gibault, the environment minister. He's awful. Uh, he, he's, uh, he violates the law. He doesn't follow the, um, the Supreme Court judgments. And he acts in a, as I've called it, an imperious way. So I, I, I have very little interest in continuing any discussion with him. I can tell you I have a very good relationship with other ministers. Um, I've given credit to uh, Christian Freeland, who did a great job of uh, matching us and giving a, a generous carbon cap uh, tax credit for carbon capture utilization and storage. Um, Francois Philippe Champagne is one of the biggest champions of industry everywhere in the country. I can tell you, he doesn't. It doesn't matter whether it's a a battery plant in Quebec or Ontario, or the port of Prince Rupert, or uh, a petrochemical project in in Edmonton. He is a true champion of every major project in this country. And so, I've got a good relationship with some ministers, but I'm not going to pretend to you that um, that. Um, uh, Stephen Gibault is, is at all somebody we can work with. I think he's very dangerous, quite frankly. He's dangerous to the Federation, and he's he's dangerous because he doesn't he doesn't honor the Constitution, and he acts outside the law. And so we're going to make sure that we push back to the greatest extent extent possible on anything he puts forward. All right, we're going to uh, change gears here. Ron would uh, like to ask you about flood mitigation. Ron's been calling in on the uh, QR line. Go ahead, Ron. You're on with Premier Smith. Uh, good morning, Premier. One decade and five months ago, this cherished land experienced the 100-year flood on the Bow River. We are still 20 years or so away from having at least one dam built upstream of Calgary in the Bow watershed. Talk about red tape. Three possibilities are still in the design stage. With the rapid growth of population in central Alberta and the turtle speed of progress, 
we will likely need two dams to have water security and flood protection. What sayest thou? <laughs> you are very right. I can tell you one of the things that I've been very surprised by being in Dubai where the COP28 meetings are taking place is I've had a, a chance to meet with uh, members in the decision-making body here. It is a monarchy and they can tell you, I can tell you they have no bureaucracy and they're very proud of it. When they make a decision, they're able to get it executed. And when you see how much has grown in this uh, part of the world in 25 years, how much they've modernized, you have to wonder why does it take 15 to 20 years for us to get any projects approved in Alberta? It's unacceptable. And so I, I'll be putting some pressure on my environment minister and my irrigation and agriculture ministers for us to solve these problems. When you're in a, in a part of the world where they have to rely on desalinated water in order to, to feed their, uh, to make sure that their population maintain, maintains the ability to have access to clean water, and we're not managing the incredible water resources, the freshwater resources that we have by building reservoirs, it makes no sense. So we, we, we have to do a lot better than that. And so um, one of the things that I would say is that there's, a, there's, a, there's got to be a way for us to make sure that we're managing the environment, ensuring that we're doing proper consultation, but getting the job done because we, we can't continue to have these problems where we're, not only are we putting our citizens at risk downstream for flood mitigation, but then we're not managing our resources properly for whether it is water need, for uh, city uses or for irrigation uses. And, and we, we have to find a way to solve that problem. All right, Deputy Premier Mike Ellis here in studio would like to uh, add to your comment, Premier Smith. Thanks, uh, thanks, Wayne. Uh, I, ju I just want to add that we've been working with the federal government uh, in regards to mitigation. I think in their own admission, um, they probably have not been providing enough funds. Uh, the the number I'm about to give you may sound big, but when you divide it amongst all of Canada, it's really not a very big number. It's $1.8 billion. And uh, I think all of us as provinces are fairly united on this, that uh, we want to continue to work with the federal government. We hope that they will be able to provide some additional funds in order to help with uh, all mitigation projects, uh, projects uh, all throughout Canada. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Okay. Uh, now, uh, Premier Smith, when we're talking about money, uh, John has texted in says, please ask the Premier to justify the 100 Albertans she took to COP28 and please publish the total cost to Alberta taxpayers. 100% will we'll publish the total cost. And I can tell you, the fact that we have an environment minister operating outside the law, negotiating on our behalf in an area that is not in his jurisdiction, that underscores in spades why not only do we need to be here this year, we need to be here every year. And I can tell you Saskatchewan feels very much the same way. They went a little bit further than us. They not only did advertising in the in the public transit, but they also had their own pavilion, which they were generous enough to have us uh, be at. So in future years, we'll have to consider whether we want to have a bigger presence uh, that matches what Saskatchewan has been able to do. But if anyone thinks that Stephen Guibault is going to do a better job than me on advocating on behalf of our industry, I, ha I, I have to tell you, you are clearly mistaken. And the, it may well be that in previous years, different, different governments made different decisions, but this is too crucial. This is our future. When, if, if we, uh, we've, got to, we've got to fight against some of the things that they have proposed. They proposed here an emissions cap on methane, which is unconstitutional. They proposed an emissions cap on oil and natural gas, which is unconstitutional. And we're going to have to make sure that we are here 
not only to tell our Alberta story, but to make sure that we have a, a lied uh, nonprofits and businesses that are here as well. So in our delegation, I've got my myself, my environment minister, we had uh, six staff and we had several members of different agencies who would have been here anyway, whether it's Emissions Reduction Alberta or whether it was uh, through the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation, Alberta Innovates and other entities. They would have been here anyway. and they're, they're supporting themselves through their own budgets. But most of the delegation is paying their own way. There are businesses like Enbridge. There are businesses who are like Edmonton Global, which is an, an Edmonton uh, economic de development zone. So we're, we have a delegation for sure, but it's an allied delegation where it's government, nonprofits, and businesses who are all here telling the Alberta story. And I, I can tell you, couldn't be more proud of the, uh, the, the force that we put forward here, and we're going to do it again. Anthony has texted in from Spruce Grove. He said, you keep speaking of supporting health care, but why will you not invest some of our budget surplus into health care? Look, we, we are in a very dire situation. I, I don't want anyone to be misled. The, the fact that we're running surpluses, we're going to keep on running them because we've got to get to, to being debt-free again. When you have uh, $80 billion worth of debt, most of it racked up during the NDP years, it is now coming due at rates that are double what they were when the, that, that debt was first taken out. Guess what happens when you double the interest rate? You double the amount of finance charges you have to pay. We've got $26 billion worth of debt coming due in the next three years. And we've got to make sure that we're running surpluses so that we can start paying that down. I want to see us on a track to firmly be debt-free within a, a reasonable period of time. And I, at the same time, we need to be growing our Heritage uh, Savings Trust Fund so that we can ultimately get it to a level, I want to say $100 billion, so we can start weaning ourselves off the reliance on our, our resource revenues. So those are the dual objectives that we have. Not only do we have to maintain a level of support for our public services, we've got to eliminate debt, and we've got to, we've got to build up our sovereign wealth fund. So I, I feel I feel pretty confident that, that we're going to be able to do all three of those things, but it's going to take some belt tightening and we've got to make some uh, some some sacrifices and we, we've got to make sure that we're, we're continuing to do prudent financial management. And that's what we'll do. Premier Smith, you uh, mentioned earlier in the show about the um, uh, prevalence of solar panels in Dubai. And uh, Randy is calling in from Grand Prairie with a solar panel question. So go ahead, Randy. You're on with Premier Smith. Yeah, hi. I went to get solar panels, and ATCO, I guess, is the god with solar panels. I use 5,500 kilowatts of electricity a year. All they would give me is 50 solar panels for 55 kilowatts of power. Hmm. The power I use is approximately half of my bill. Why is it that I can't put enough solar panels up? Because that seems to be what people want to cover my whole bill and maybe make some money. Why does that go have the control? All, I'm not going on farmland. I'm going on my lawn. All I'm going to get rid of is some lawn and less lawn mowing. I live on an acreage. There's probably lots of people in acreages that could put solar panels on their lawn and maybe it would help. It doesn't go on the farmland and that's what you want. 
Right on, Randy. I, I, I can tell you that I know a number of people were concerned about the pause that we took, but it's, ex it's to solve some of, the, some of the exact problems that Randy is raising. If somebody wants to put uh, solar panels on their own property and they're making that decision so that they can go off the grid, we should be encouraging that. And I think there's a lot of policies in place that are preventing it. I didn't realize that he was limited in, in the way he was describing. I, I've heard one of the barriers that people have is that they get no break on their trans, uh, transmission and distribution charges, even though they're essentially generating their own electricity using exi the existing power grid. We, we have got to resolve all of those issues. I would be quite happy to see every industrial operation, every building, every, every rooftop of every home having uh, having solar on it and if we can find a way to enable that in a in a better way than we have in the past that's what we're going to do so so just uh we have a couple more months where we're just sorting out the policy but do know that that's the direction that we're going we're going to try try to solve some of those problems all right we're going to pause for a break i'm wayne nelson with deputy premier mike ellis in studio premier danielle smith in dubai we'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on your province your premier Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Premier Danielle Smith is in Dubai. She is with us today. Deputy Premier Mike Ellis in studio as a backup, just in case. And it's your chance to speak with them one-on-one. -on -one. If you have a question or text for my guests, please keep it short. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Janet in Edmonton. Janet has an Alberta Pension Plan question. Go ahead, Janet. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Oh, hi, uh, Danielle. Um, first of all, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing for Albertans. It takes a very unique and special person to be in politics. And um, so I got to commend you for, for what you're doing because I can only imagine how much hardship you must go through. Um, so it does take a special person to do that. So thank you. Um, one of the things that, um, that I find really difficult is the discussion about the pension plan, so many people are talking about, and you hear it everywhere, oh, you know, Daniel Smith, she wants to steal our money. Now, um, one of the things that people don't seem to understand or know because of how, you know, media and how people put it out there um, is that currently right now with the uh, CPP investments, they don't realize that right now it's being invested through the World Economic Forum. So it's actually right on the World Economic Forum website that um, all this money is going through and it's, you know, uh, and then talk about Toronto, Hong Kong, London, uh, New York, all these places. And so that's one aspect of it. So when you think about the federal part of the CPP and where that money's going and how much money we give, you know, as Albertans um, to the federal government to invest and not, not invest in Canada, but invest outside of Canada and you know, so all this money is going there. And then you've got um, the opportunity that you discussed, which is the uh, the Alberta Pension Plan. And, you know, how do you get it? How can you get the information across to people so they understand that there is more opportunity? There is going to be more money um, put on their paychecks. So I know that there's been an estimation of about 1400 a year added to your paycheck because you're not giving as much to the federal government. Um, businesses are going to save. There's going to be more assets within Alberta. Um, there's just so much out there that there's so much information out there that's not being given to Albertans. And at this point, 
you you know, you think about the, the sides. Oh, there's a left and there's a right. And I think what needs to happen is we need to find a way so that way people can look at their own lives. They can look at the future of their lives and their children's lives and what do they really want. And, you know, instead of having certain people that are in government that are talking in a slanderous way because it is absolutely shocking the lies that are put out there by other leaders about other politicians and they continue to lie over and over to albertans to to canadians i'll, I'll just leave it there because i can go on and on okay so I'll just leave it there. thank you janet you well, were you, you were know, getting to that point <laughs> i had yeah, my I finger on the button <laughs> All right. The, the message is the message is getting through at least because Janet understands that too, and it, and it is true. I've I've met with the CPPIB Investment Board, and I asked them why they're a partner with the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum is pretty publicly stated that they want to end fossil fuel use. So I have to say I'm I'm a bit perturbed that a, an entity that wants to work against Alberta's interests is a partner with the CPPIB Investment Boards. Why is that? The other thing, too, I would say is that if anyone is stealing our pensions right now, it's the federal government. They're making our seniors overpay and they're not getting uh, a reduction. They're not getting better benefits and they're they're not getting lower lower premiums. We're overpaying, as we always have, for every federal program that is devised. And I just don't think that's fair. So I'm persuaded by the case that, that we should have our own pension plan. I've been very clear about that from the beginning, but it's not up to me. It's going to be up to Albertans. It's why we put forward pension legislation that says, number one, any dollars that come back into in Alberta pension plan would be 100% invested in that pension plan and it would be professional management. The number one thing that a pension board should have is making sure they maximize returns. It shouldn't be all the ideological interests that we currently see out of the federal government and the mandate that they're giving to the CPPIB. That would be number one. Number two is you have to make sure that the uh, premiums are lower or the same. You have to make sure that the benefits are higher or the same. And you also have to ensure that it's put the people through a referendum. Those are the four commitments that we made with the pension bill that passed with a lot of discussion and debate and late night sessions. But that's why we wanted to make sure that Albertans know this is a decision for them. And I, I hope that uh, with the kind of information that Janet has got, that more of that gets through, because those are the questions that we need to have. I, I personally think that uh, our investment advisors are going to do a better job managing that pension for our for our seniors in a better way and everybody will end up either getting a better pension or paying lower premiums and that would that's what we should be working towards all right two more text messages on that very topic uh claude from edmonton says talk from the premier has been cheap why spend our tax dollars attacking the federal government on issues that you are not willing to commit to a binding referendum that if albertans chose the cpp over an alberta pension plan what are you afraid of now that's from claude and then george calling in from penhold says you claim that you don't want the government meddling in pension plans but yet you took over the alberta teachers association's pension plan and in doing so you've lost over four billion dollars of it can you please explain yourself uh on the first one look i mean the way i talked to my finance minister about that and here's what he said like what if we get a 51 percent vote we go to the people and, it, and it's 51 percent I mean, that becomes a judgment call that you make. Is that is that enough of a mandate to make a change? That That's part of the issue that we have, is that 
We understand that if we get a, there's no possible way that we would proceed without a mandate of the people, but we do have to have a judgment call on whether it's an, enough of a mandate. And I, I, I think that you, we've seen that in other issues before. It's going to be a clear majority from a, a clear number of people who have voted in it. And so that's part of the, the issue that we would have. We, we absolutely want to get the guidance from Albertans on whether or not they want to go, go ahead with this. Uh, on the other issue of the performance of AIMCO, I understand the frustration. There were some uh, some losses that happened in previous years. I think that the the new management that was put in place by the by my predecessor Jason Kenny uh, helped to stabilize matters. But I, I think we have to do a whole lot better, and uh, and I want to make sure that that people have confidence. We Amco is investing 170 billion dollars on our behalf, and we have to make sure that every employee group who is represented by the investment decisions feel confidence in it. So if we haven't succeeded in that yet, then then just know it's something that I have a high priority to work on. That being said, there, there's no, we haven't made a decision about who would be the investment fund manager for an Alberta pension plan because we haven't made a decision to go in that direction yet. It may be AIMCO. It might stay with the CPPIB investment board. We might be able to get a separate uh, advisory committee that oversees the investment decisions at the CPBIB in a similar way that they already have an investment board that only has one Albertan on it, by the way. Um, and so there's lots of different options if we go to end up going down that path. But we ha we haven't made the decision that we're going there yet. But but do know that my number one goal would be maximizing the turn the returns for Albertans, and and that's what the the goal of a pension investment should be. Premier Smith, thank you for taking some time from your schedule in Dubai. I wanted to wrap up this. Uh, show today with this uh, text coming in from Janet in St. Albert. Premier Smith can actually send lumps of Alberta coal to certain Ottawa MPs in their Christmas stocking. All right, uh, that's our show. Premier Smith, Deputy Premier Ellis, thanks for joining us today. And that's a great idea. I might just end up doing that. Thanks so much for that, Wayne. We'll talk to you again You soon. bet. Premier Danielle Smith will be back with me in a couple of weeks on December 23rd for our final show of 2023. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.